and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 49, for the week of December 9th, 2020. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, December 9th, the moon is 40% full in the morning sky. By the end of this week, the moon will be at new phase, getting ready to enter the evening sky. This new moon phase on December 14th brings us a solar eclipse visible south of the equator and the path where the eclipse's total is narrow. It is in the southern hemisphere and extends from the Pacific Ocean through Chile and Argentina and on through to the Atlantic Ocean, stopping just short of the coast of Africa. The eclipse path from where the moon completely blocks the sun is 56 miles, that is 90 kilometers wide, and at maximum, the eclipse will be 2 minutes, 10 seconds. A partial eclipse, where the moon covers only part of the sun, is visible from parts of Antarctica through most of South America. The Gemini's meteor shower peak on the morning of Monday, December 14th, meaning that Sunday night, December 13th, going into Monday, December 14th, is the best night to watch it. The shower is active for a few days before December 13th, 14th. After that date, the rates drop off significantly. How good is this meteor shower? It is one of the best of the year, and it can produce some bright, fast-moving meteors. At its peak, at 2 a.m. when the radiant is nearly overhead, you may, under dark sky conditions, see 120 meteors per hour, or an average of two per minute. This year, the moon does not interfere with this shower. Meteor watching can be rewarding, but it does take patience. It is done with the unaided eye. There's, there's no need for binoculars or a telescope. It helps to have a dark sky and dress warm. The meteors appear to originate from the constellation Gemini, from near the stars Castor and Pollux. From mid-northern latitudes, as the sky darkens on the evening of Sunday, December 13th, this area is just rising in the northeast. It re reaches highest in the sky at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Here's a game plan that works. At evening twilight, the meteors will be what are known as earth grazers. They skim through the atmosphere, sometimes leaving long streaks across the sky. 
Look to the east or to the north at this stage, rather high in the sky. The number of meteors visible at that time will not be very high, but those that are visible can be spectacular. As a radiant near the stars Castor and Pollux rises, the number of meteors visible will increase. Now look to the left or right of the radiant and about 45 degrees high in the sky. That provides the greatest number of meteors. At about 2 a.m., when the radiant is highest in the sky, look in any direction about 45 degrees high to see the greatest number of meteors. Every meteor shower has an originator parent. Usually it's known as the parent comet. After all, something has to be flying through space distributing these particles we fly through. For the Geminides, it is not a comet, but an asteroid known as 3200 Pathion. This asteroid might have been a comet at one time that is now extinct, and or, as an asteroid, it might still expel material that continues to add to the stream we pass through. Jupiter and Saturn are in the southwestern sky and closing in on each other. On December 21st, they'll be within one-tenth of a degree of each other, and yes, that is a big thing. It may be the astronomical highlight of the year. More about that at the end of this podcast. As we begin this week on December 9th, they are 1.4 degrees apart. Six nights later, on December 15th, they'll be less than half that distance apart at 0.6 degrees. Look at them each night and see if you can tell the nightly difference in separation. By the end of this week, both should fit in the field of view of a moderate-sized telescope at low or medium power. Already in binoculars, they are a spectacular sight. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week? which for our purposes begins Wednesday, December 9th through Tuesday, December 15th? It all depends upon your location. This week we have four zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 58 degrees north, you will not be able to see it at all this week. Between minus 10 degrees and 58 degrees latitude, and, and that is most of us, the ISS will be in your evening sky, but only for the first part of the week. The further south you go as you head from plus 58 to minus 10 degrees, the more nights it will be visible. From about minus 33 to minus 10 degrees, the ISS will be in your morning and evening sky for the second half of the week only. And from minus 55 to minus 33 degrees, the ISS will be in your morning and evening sky. And you do have long nights this time of the year for the whole week. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS.
Now for the comets you can see this week. The positions, that is the right ascension and declination of these comets, can be found on Podcast 48, Comet Positions. You can also get the positions of these comets from heavens-above.com. Comet Howell, 88P, is magnitude 10, and crossing through the constellation Capricornus in the southern evening sky. It is slowly dimming. It's plotted on podcast 49, map 1. Comet C2020M3 Atlas is now in the northern sky all night long. It's in the constellation Auriga. On December 11th, it passes 2 degrees from M38. Some are having difficulty seeing this because the comet is diffuse and fairly large in size. It's plotted on Podcast 49, Maps 1 and 2. Last week, I brought up Periodic Comet Mockholtz 2, also known as 141P slash 2, and I said that it was too faint for amateurs to pick up. Well, it still has not been spotted visually, but this week it was imaged by Alan Hale, co-discoverer of Comet Hale-Bopp, a comet expert who runs the Earthrise Institute that provides a lot of useful comet information. Look it up, the Earthrise Institute, and the current series is Ice and Stone. Some good stuff. Anyway, Alan Hale imaged Comet 141P remotely with a telescope in Hawaii. It is still very faint. The comet might be underperforming, but don't worry, I won't. This week we're going to learn two new constellations, high in our sky at evening twilight. One is the constellation Aries, the other is Triangulum. They are plotted and identified on Podcast 49, Map 1, and in more detail on Map 3. Let's begin first with Aries. It is one of the zodiac constellations, so the sun, moon, and planets pass this way. Actually, they pass south of the constellation. Aries is a ram, but it doesn't look like a ram. It's made up of two bright stars. Using maps one and three for this podcast, it should be rather easy to find. As an aside, at one time, the constellation Aries was in a part of the sky where the sun passed the equator moving northward. This is known as the first point of Aries and identifies where the coordinate system of the sky originates. Zero hours and zero minutes begins here. Due to something known as precession, the wobbling of the earth that takes 26,000 years for one cycle of wobbling. This point, the first point of Aries, has moved over to the next constellation, Pisces, but it is still called the first point of Aries. Nevertheless, get to know the constellation Aries. Our next constellation is just north of Aries. It is called Trianglium, and it looks like its name a triangle. 
In fourth grade, we had to draw the figures of a few constellations of our choosing. I chose Trianglium. It was easy to trace out. So, Trianglium is made up of three stars, and again, it is on Podcast 49, Maps 1 and 3. Get to know that constellation, too. Our binocular and telescope object this week is the galaxy known as M33. It is plotted on Podcast 49, Maps 1 and 3, with Map 3 being more detailed. M33 is known as a pinwheel galaxy due to its appearance of being a nearly face-on spiral galaxy. It is listed at magnitude 6.2 and measuring 22 by 16 arcminutes in size. Taking in the outer arms, the size swells to nearly a degree across. With light spread out over so much space, this galaxy may be difficult to see as it blends in with light-polluted skies. In fact, due to its low surface brightness, it can be one of the more difficult Messe objects to find. It is 2.7 light-years away, so it's in the local group. Finding it is easier than seeing it. From the point star in the constellation Trianglium, head west and slightly north, 4.2 degrees to M33. Halfway along those 4.2 degrees, you'll run across a star of magnitude 6. Keep moving along to M33. Seeing it with the unaided eye is a test for your eyes and the skies. You might pick up that 6 magnitude star on your way to M33. Just remember that M33 is rather large. It is more difficult to see than M31, the Andromeda Galaxy, which is 15 degrees to the northwest. In binoculars, M33 will appear ghostly and brighter in the center. The arms are unlikely to be visible in binoculars. Through a telescope, M33 reveals more detail. Don't be afraid to crank up the magnification and look for structure in the spiral arms. Do you remember Apollo 8, the space flight that took three American astronauts around the moon in December 1968? From back then to the present time, whenever Apollo 8 is discussed, It is described as a bright spot at the end of a bad year. In 1968, the United States was fighting a war overseas. It had racial and political unrest, two assassinations, a rough time. Then came Apollo 8, orbiting the moon, the broadcast from the astronauts on Christmas Eve. It all helped to level things out a bit. This year might end on a high note, too. On December 21st, two major planets, Jupiter and Saturn, get very close together as seen from the Earth. This is called a conjunction, a planetary conjunction, and they will get very close, one-tenth of a degree apart. You might have trouble separating them with the unaided eye. 
it will be a great view in binoculars and especially a telescope. It will be in your evening sky and in the southwestern sky. So find a location with a low southwestern horizon and circle your calendar for Monday, December 21st. Unless we have a conjunction malfunction, this event could be the sky's goodbye to 2020. That will be on December 21st, and I will talk more about that next week. Are you tired of the virus? Then I suggest you try this. Finally, something breaks a pattern. When Jupiter kisses the rings of Saturn. After a year of pandemic dysfunction, we will watch in the sky this gas conjunction. After a year of social distancing, the planets decide on coexisting. After a year of facial covering, the planets show us spatial hovering. After a year of meeting on Zoom, we'll watch the planets get in tune. We'll talk more about this phenomenon right here next week on Looking Up with Don. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 49 for December 9th, 2020. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com, two H's. You can contact me at donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's going on in the sky, especially that conjunction coming up on Monday, December 21st. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.